You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, Josh Neighbors here at Locked On Nationals Podcast. On today's show, part one of my conversation with Peter Pratt, the new host of the Locked On, or newer, I should say, host of the Locked On Marlins Podcast. He and I have a good conversation. In part one, I really take a look at the Marlins, just as a team, where they're at, kind of how they got here. Part two is going to be about really both of these teams and where they fit in the division. So Marlins and Nats talking about that kind of bottom, that's where they end up. So part one really focused on the Marlins, let you all Nationals listeners get to know Miami. We're going to do this for all the teams, hopefully the National League East. So part one of my conversation with Peter Pratt of Locked On Marlins. Hope you all enjoy. Hello everybody, Josh Neighbors here. We have ourselves a crossover between the Locked On Nationals and the Locked On Marlins podcasts. I am Josh Neighbors, the host of Locked On Nationals. The newer-ish host of Locked On Marlins, Peter Pratt, joins us. Uh, Peter, it is nice to talk to you for the first time so we can talk about these two potential cellar dwellers in the National League East. <laughs> Absolutely great to talk, Josh, no doubt. Uh, I am I think I may be a little bit more hyped than you are on the Marlins mm. and their, their potential this year, but nevertheless... Uh, yeah, last year, Cellar Dwellers was absolutely correct for, for both of our clubs. So mm-hmm. uh, we're hoping for hoping for bigger times, I think, and better times in 22. Uh, as we uh, move into the show, we'll let you guys know today's show is brought to you by get betonline.ag, best place to get in on the sports action today. More on that coming up in a little bit. Uh, but Peter, first things first. So, you know, not to single you out as, you know, hey, you're British, but a lot of people listen to baseball podcasts aren't used to hearing from you know, people from Britain. So just yep. tell us the story. How did you stumble upon Locked On Marlins? But first, how did you find baseball and the Marlins as your team? Just lay it all out for us. It's a great question. And uh, really, it came, my, my brother lives in the States. So he's moved over. He lives in St. Louis. Um, mm-hmm. So the, my first ever ball game, that was, I don't know, 2016, maybe, went to Bush and it was fantastic. It was a day game. Beers were flowing. I was, I was like, wow, baseball is great. I, I didn't know any of the rules, really. I, I just really? sat there and, and enjoyed the spectacle of, you know, a, a day. I sat around thinking, this is a day game. Bush is packed. I don't, I don't know what's going on in the field, but <laughs> does nobody work? Does nobody work? Because it was like packed in there. And I, was, I just thought it was phenomenal. I was like, okay. So that was the first game. We, I had so much fun. The next day we said, right. There's a, there's a game in Kansas City tomorrow. Mm. Let's drive to Kansas and go to another game. So we did. Um, so went to two ball games back to back. Was like, actually, I really like baseball. Really like like the vibe. I'm a big cricket guy, and in the UK, you know, there's a big cricket following, and it's quite a similar watch. Like you're happy with that kind of passive watch. So like I'm personally like into that kind of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, a couple of years later, we then went to Miami on a family trip, and I was like, right, I want to go and see the Marlins while we're there. And we got to Marlins Park then. Different vibe. Stand and hit. Yeah, it was a different vibe. There was no one there. I was like, whoa, what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> it was a different vibe. That is that is for sure. But um, big stand and hit a huge home run in the second inning. Mm. I was like, that's it. 
I am making a decision now. I'm going to go and buy a Stanton jersey, and I'm going to be a Marlins fan from now on. Um, uh, so I, I didn't know any of the Marlins players at that point. I just made that decision. I want to get into this sport. Um, and basically, in the offseason, then, uh, the rebuild started. So it was my fault. I'm putting it down to that. <laughs> so you said you went to Miami when? What year? I think that was 2017. Right, I was standing still there. So I, I, I have to say this. I'm actually wearing my, my Missouri, for those of you who are audio version, Missouri shirt. So I am a graduate of the University of Missouri, very familiar with both St. Louis and Kansas City. And I have to say, as somebody who went to many games at Bush Stadium, it's one of the best venues. St. Louis is not my favorite town in America, but the ballpark is one of the best with the arch in the background. Um, Amazing. They're great seats everywhere you go. I and mean, that stadium is a really I, I didn't mind sitting in the outfield sometimes. And so uh plenty of my friends, you know, whenever my friends had a team, their team was in town. I'd even stick along and, and go along with them just because I love going to baseball games so much. And there is this, there is a buzz, right? When you sit in the game, and I'm sure cricket's the same way. It's just kind of a constant buzz, the conversations going on, people talking, the music in the background, and you know, the the cheers happen um, you know, as as stuff happens in the game, right? It's very different from, you know, football, soccer, which is obviously huge there, which is very much I, – I'm a huge soccer fan, massive Chelsea fan, very much captive audience, right? Uh, people say it's boring, but it is non – you know, the high level is nonstop action, right? You know, there, there is – the clock is mo- always moving. There's very few stoppages, mm-hmm. and it's in and out. Baseball, you know, to some extent, for better or for worse, is – it's a longer game, right? It takes you more time. Actually, I call baseball for a local college. We had a four and a half hour game yesterday on the heels of a four oh, hour game the previous day. So sometimes you're like, all right, let's move along a little bit. But there is, especially major leagues, just a, that buzz is kind of a, especially during a nice summer day. If you're in the shade and it's not too hot, there's a great high from it. And day games too. I love day games so much. Quick word from our sponsors here on today's show. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline and BetOnline.net. NCAA tournament's happening right now. Final Four is coming up this weekend, but they've got more than that. NBA, NHL, NFL futures, MLB futures. They've got Formula One, NASCAR, MMA, Vegas casino games. Whatever you want, they've got at BetOnline and BetOnline.net. So go check that out today. All right. And also, today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to built.com today. Built.com, that's where you guys can find all of these delicious Built Bars. They've got flavors with coconut. They've got flavors with almond. They've got flavors with coconut and almond. They've got white chocolate cookies and cream. They've got new flavors coming out all the time at Built Bar. So go to built.com today. That's built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, LOCKED15, for 15% off at Built.com today. They're better for you than a candy bar. They taste just as good as most candy bars. So go to Built.com today, promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, LOCKED15, for 15% off today. I'm completely with you. And I must say, after the, the game in St. Louis, we piled into that ballpark village over the road. Mm-hmm. And that was just it was pandemonium in there. I mean, I'd had about 15 beers at this point. So you know, I was, I was, I was pretty loose, but it was a great day. And, uh, that kind of, I, I do like the vibe. And like you said, it's, 
because we're British in that in that crowd as well, and I was starting to get, I was starting to shout, you know, I don't know what I was shouting, but I was shouting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were kind of turning around thinking, who's this guy? What's going on? Is he British? What's he doing here? All these questions. So everyone was kind of coming in, having a conversation. A lot of fun. We just had a great day. Um, and yeah, like you said, Miami was a different vibe. Like Miami as a city was wild, no right. doubt. But very different vibe in the ballpark. I, me- I remember the game and it was raining, torrential rain outside. So there was like, I don't know, 4,000 fans there. Jose Fernandez was pitching actually, mm. which was, I didn't know who Jose Fernandez was at that right. moment. But to have only ever been to one Marlins game and seen Jose Fernandez on the mound and a Stanton home run, I, I think I kind of lucked out in many ways. And the Marlins yeah. won too. So they, they took down the Diamondbacks in the torrential rain, 4,000 fans. <sighs> and I, I took home the Stanton jersey. So there you go. Well, I, I will say this is kind of where we can start like the Marlins conversation. So there was a year, a couple of years ago, I'm not sure how familiar you are with some of the universities here. Uh, LSU, Louisiana State University in the Southeastern Conference, outdrew the Marlins in attendance um, on average attendance, which is like, I mean, shocking, appalling is, yeah, is shocking and appalling. Um, Ever since that 2020 shortened season where the Marlins made the playoffs, I feel like there is this really interesting conversation around Miami about or just around this team is like what is its place in the National League East because you think about all these teams you have the Nationals who win the World Series right 2019 the Braves just won it the Phillies you know you don't stock up on stars like Bryce Harper JT Real Muto invest in guys like Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber if your intentions are not to go for broke right it's not that's not how you operate Mm -hmm. the Mets make the World Series in 2015, and clearly ever since then I've been stumbling. And But the, the goal has been trying to get back, and obviously Steve Cohen has pumped a lot of money into this thing. So that's where they want to go. And then there's the Marlins. And so it's like, you know, uh, the, uh, I already mentioned the Braves. The Braves have been winning this division forever. Um, you know, then there's the Marlins. And so it's it's like they've shown a lot of promise as of late. But how do you build and stack yourself against these teams in the division that for the most part are going for it. And two of them in the last three years have actually gotten it done and accomplished it and won the big thing. Yeah. I mean, you got to just call it out. The division is absolutely loaded. It's been loaded, you know, for years and for the Marlins, it's tough. They're playing a different game, right? The Marlins are approaching this in a very, very different way. They're effectively approaching it the same way as the Rays and the Rays have been successful too. So I think that's the point is, they're trying to be the Rays, but I don't think they're, they're not as cute as the Rays, and that's been the problem. But uh, really, where the Marlins sit right now, they're on plan. Like when Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter came in, they laid out the plan. As fans, we knew what it was. It was a painful plan because it was basically, we're going to just tear apart all of this real nice core of an offense. We're going to trade every one of those dudes, and we're going to rebuild the, from the ground up. They haven't wavered from that. And they've actually been pretty successful in it in terms of, well, they had the shortened season playoff appearance, but the farm's loaded. Farm's absolutely loaded. And there's one thing that the Marlins can do, and it's develop pitching. Really, really can. So in terms of a cornerstone of this franchise right now, developing, uh, well, draft scouting, drafting, developing pitching is a, is a hallmark of the Marlins. And that is, it's a really good asset to have. And we're at that moment now where we're ready. We're ready to contend. The farm's loaded. And now it's, can you make the right trades 
to get the right players in to supplement the offense. And that's really kind of the conundrum for the Marlins right now. But they're playing a different game. They're not going to throw money at it. We don't have, you know, it, it's probably the poorest franchise, I guess, out there. Just it's a big market, Miami, for sports. But yeah, the, the fans don't come. No one comes. Well, so. it's because I, you know, from what, I, what I've derived, and, and I used to talk with Arn Layton, who's now, uh, you know, does a lot of baseball prospect stuff, big Marlins guy. It's just location is not, it's not a user friendly location for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. Um, and you know, the ballpark atmosphere on, I hate to be demeaning, but like, it's, it's not the kind of warehouse at times, right? The way you'll hear a whistle and you'll hear it just kind of echo and travel through <laughs> what yeah. is a somewhat empty ballpark. And, um, I, I think the one thing it does, the moments of, do have going for it is that, it is a community that definitely cares about baseball. Like from the, like, you know, from just the makeup of the community, right. You know, Latin, yeah. a lot of Latin American people. Um, it's also in the South too. So, you know, the South plus Latin America, that's, that is, that's where, that's the crossroads of baseball, right? There's a reason why all these Southeastern conference teams are, are very good at baseball. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where baseball lives. So, and, you know, the Braves, another good example, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a reason why the Braves are so popular from where I live in Virginia, all the way down. I mean, there's an argument to be had, you know, five years ago, six years ago, the Braves were still the more popular team in Virginia, as opposed to the Nationals. The Nationals didn't really gain prominence till much later on because they're fighting for the Braves who really had control of the South. So it's a it's an interesting place to be, and they're in a they're in a you know roster wise they're in, they're in a weird spot because you know like this Derek Jeter thing. Like for people who don't know, what the hell happened? Because it seemed like, as you mentioned, the plan was on track, and Jeter mm-hmm. leaves, and there are some differing opinions about how effective was Jeter's strategy. Were they doing the right thing? So just explain that for people. What's hap- What's happened, and kind of where the fan base is on it, and where you are on it. Caught everyone off guard. That's the first thing to say. It was a shock. Uh, the timing of it was a shock, particularly. Just in, in summary, though, Derek Jeter uh, had a five-year contract as CEO or whatever role uh, you, want to, you wanted to call himself. Five-year deal, four years into it, a, a year to run. And I think effectively they were, they were kicking off some extension talks. What's, what's the future hold for the Marlins? Uh, and I think effectively there was a disagreement and he was... Yeah, well, I don't know how acrimonious it was, but a mutual parting. But I think effectively, uh, Jeter wasn't going to get the extension he wanted and the money wasn't going to be there for what he wanted to do once he'd built it to a level. And I think it was, I'm going to go then. And that's kind of the way way it's played out. Really what it means in the short term is Kim Ang is going to be playing a lot Mm -hmm. bigger role for the Marlins. And reports have come out since that there was some trades that the Marlins were ready to make pre-lockout even I think going back to last year's deadline that that were nixed, effectively Jeter, he had the final say in everything and he said no on a few of these deals. Um, so Kim Ang's going to be given ownership. Like I said, this is a really important spot for the Marlins because the farm is stacked. There's a lot of pitching. A lot of teams need pitching. And it's how can the Marlins flip some of that into major league level hitting that's young and controllable. So what the MO looks like. So I was surprised that the timing of the Jeter thing, I actually think he did a great job, to be honest with you. I think the where the Marlins are at now is, is exactly on plan. Maybe he was expecting them to load in an extra 100 million on top of the current payroll. And I just don't think that was ever going to happen in this market. The one thing that Derek Jeter could not crack, the fans are still not coming. Attendances are still bottom three. 
And that's at the core of it. They haven't been able to crack that. And the reason they can't crack it is because in Miami, I'm not from Miami, so mm. I'm just passing on secondhand knowledge here. But <laughs> the reality is they they like a winning product on the field. It is not a market that just people turn up and pay their money just to watch right. rubbish. There's other and things to do in Miami, right? There's, there's other, other things. things to do in Miami. There absolutely is. What's well, so the problem San Diego has it, really. too, right? I mean, San Diego has the same problem. San Diego is a city in California where it's 75 degrees every single day. There are other things you can do than go watch football or baseball. But Sandy, bottom line is if you win, people will come and people will come and seek that out. And I know it's, it's, you know, it's winning's hard, hard, you know, it's harder than it sounds, but like, that's kind of it. I, I mean, I, I legitimately think people will show up if they consistently win. It might take time, but people mm-hmm. will, people will show up. Completely with you. I mean, you only got to look back to when Mar- the Marlins are on these postseason runs back in, you know, the early 2000s uh, or in 99. Uh, they were playing in a you know an NFL stadium Dolphin then, stadium, obviously. Yeah. Dolphin Stadium. And, you know, there's 60,000 people there or whatever right. the number was. I mean, listen, if you put a product on the field that's good and fun and is winning, they will come. The problem for, for Jeter in this organization has been they, they tore it down. And so basically with that went the fan base completely. And... um they're now in a position where if they can get into winning ways, then we'll see what the fan base does. I would have been really intrigued to see what 2020 postseason would have looked like for the Marlins. You know, they they made the postseason. They went on that run. Sixto Sanchez emerged as a big-time mm-hmm. prospect. You know, what what would Lone Depot, oh, Marlins Park back then, what would it have looked like on a on a Saturday evening game, Sixto Sanchez starting, the Marlins in the hunt for the for the postseason Really, uh, we don't know the answer, but I would have been really intrigued to see what the fan base would have done for that one. Uh, all right, I want to talk about the pitching here. First, quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online and BetOnline.net. Final four next weekend, folks. The only place to get in on the action is BetOnline and BetOnline.net. Not just college hoops, though. They've got MLB futures, NBA odds, NFL futures, draft odds, UFC, Formula One, boxing, Vegas casino games. They've got it all. So head to their new sleek-looking website today, BetOnline and BetOnline.net to get in on the action. I placed a wager yesterday on Max Verstappen to come from fourth and to win the Saudi Arabian GP. He did so, so I cashed on that one. You guys can do the same at BetOnline and BetOnline.net. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. Are you an F1 guy at all? Do you like do you like F1? I do. I do. Uh, I mean, big, big Lewis Hamilton. I say, actually, I'm, I'm overselling big Lewis Hamilton fan. I, I, I love Lewis. F1's had it. I mean, he's, yeah, he's great. And yeah, I, I'm a Lewis fan for sure. Uh, it was a really, I mean, last season was incredible. Talking about if the product on the field is good and the fans will come, <laughs> F1 saw exactly that. Well, last you know what's year. funny? I, I didn't realize until last year, the group that owns the Braves owns Formula One, Liberty Media. <laughs> owns the Braves own Formula One. It's like, what a gangbusters years for the year for those guys. I mean, wow. Unbelievable. What a, what a year. <laughs> right. Um, so I want to talk to you about, about the pitching because this is actually something the Nationals are going through right now. The Nationals won a World Series, but really effectively um, outsourced a lot of that pitching, right? And they signed Max Scherzer. Uh, they signed, they traded for and then signed Patrick Corbin. Uh, Anibal Sanchez, they brought in, Right. A lot of the guys that were part of that run were not homegrown from a pitching in, in the bullpen too, not homegrown from a pitching perspective. Um, the Marlins are a 
different and and that's the one thing the Nationals right now are trying to trying to figure out. Like they they cannot for the life of them develop pitching. Uh, Eric Fetty, former first round mm. pick, clinging to rotation spot still at the age of twenty nine. Joe Ross just got injured. He had a nice year last year, but still like not panning out the way they thought that they thought he would. It's crazy, and you know it, the the loss of Jose Fernandez was Jose Fernandez is so tragic. But to think about like you have to factor him in the conversation of how you mentioned they do such a great job of of developing this pitching. Jose was kind of really the first modern piece they had in that, and they really haven't missed a whole lot since. I mean, this is why when you talk about the trade assets they have, they've got so much pitching ac- assets that are expendable because a lot of these guys can't crack the rotation. Like the rotation yeah. is already set. Those of you who don't know, it's Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, uh, Alazio Hernandez, and then Jesus Lazardo, who they just got. Actually, I thought it was a great trade for them to get Lazardo, kind of a, a, a low buy low uh, commodity. And if it ends up not working out, they've got so much pitching they can just replace him with, with a new young guy. So this this is a you know on an everyday basis like this is a great foundation to have. I think. Absolutely is. The the rotation is really looking nice. And like I said, competitive too. There's just so many arms. Like this is the thing. As you mentioned, top top of the, the rotation, Sandy has just year on year he's gone to another level. Year on year. It's just phenomenal to watch. Pablo Lopez equally has taken his game to another level. Change up's insane, but hasn't hasn't been able to stay healthy and on the field for a full season. That's Pablo's challenge is can you get 180 plus innings out of Pablo Lopez. If you do, then he's legit as well. Trevor Rogers obviously emerged. The Marlins drafted him, developed him. I mean, second place rookie of the year, Trevor, and he's looking to kick on. Then, as you mentioned, you're then into Jesus Lazardo, Eliezer Hernandez, um, probably the four and five. Um, the Marlins' top prospect right now, anyway, is Edward Cabrera. He had a little taste last year, and but we'll start in, in AAA. Um, plus, then you've got Max Meyer emerging. Max pitched the other day was absolutely insane. I think four innings and, I don't know, eight Ks or something. Max Meyer looking great. He's already been reassigned, so it's unlikely he's going to um, start with the, the big league club. But this is it. You, you know, Plus, you've then got Sixto Sanchez, who's hurt as well right now. What's that? That's eight, nine guys, um, all above average, um, you know. All under 30 years old, too, which is the crazy. All under 30. Right. It's all so under 30 is wild. Right, and but now the one thing that you count for, and this is this is why it helps. Like last year, the Mets started the year with like eight starters, and then they ended up just signing random dudes and having them start because injuries do happen. And I will say, like, excuse me, the one guy that we talk about this with, it's Sixto, right? This was he was kind of the second, the the post Fernandez wave. He was kind of the number one guy in this group, and now it's Sandy has been that dude, but. It sounds like Sixto, he's on a current, I think it's a no, he's on a no throwing program right now. Yeah, um, What is just, what's been the issues? I mean, has it been more than one for those who aren't really paying attention? Why haven't we seen him in the last year or a year and a half, I guess? Yeah, so it's a really great question. And to be honest with you, it's, it's one that a lot of the Marlins fan base is considering themselves. Uh, really, it stems back to last season. He, he came, he, he arrived to camp late, um, had a, made a couple of appearances in spring and then got hurt. And then seemingly the Marlins were trying to manage him back up, build him back up at this point. In the end, it wasn't happening. The Marlins fell out of it too. And so they ended up, he ended up having minor surgery. Um, so I think partly part of the blame there sits with the Marlins. I think they thought we, we're going to be in it. And so 
having Sixto back for the second half would be valuable. Um, and I think they were trying to manage him away from surgery. In the end, he needed his surgery. But you got the undercurrent, though. This is where things get interesting. The undercurrent is the, you know, the the way he looks after his body, his mm. maybe his mentality. Some there's some red flags appearing with Sixto Sanchez there, and there's you know some concerns I think from the Marlins side about whether Sixto Sanchez wants it, whether he wants to be the guy or not. But so there's there's a lot that's going on. There's the injury still around, like you said. He's another four weeks I think of no no throwing left. Um, then they're going to try and build him up. Plus, you know the concerns about his body. The reality is, however you look at it, there's there is a possibility that Sixto fully flames out. There's a possibility he comes back and shows the 2020 form that he showed. I mean, listen, he was electric in 2020. Everyone was like waxing lyrical about him. Mm. Um, or there's another, there's an alternative approach where Sixto Sanchez comes back and you know slots into the bullpen at some point in 20, right, 2022. Right. It's it's possible. I think the I think this is where not having a lot of veteran guys in the rotation hurts. Um, there mm. is a certain value I think of having those guys where it's like you can teach young kids how to how to do this thing, right? How to, how to be a, yeah. you know, bounce and bounce ideas off to off of and talk to and, and get a feel for things. And like, I think, you know, who is the guy in the lo- that locker room that's going to have a conversation with him? I know, look, I know when you're injured, you're not always around the team, especially if you're in his position. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure he's not around the team as much as, you know, a guy who is there was, you know, is playing and then gets hurt. Like he's been hurt for so long. It's kind of like he's doing his own thing off the side, but I wonder who the person is that that would have a conversation with him. It's, you know, I mean, hell, D- Jeter could be that guy who could have had the conversation. Now it would be weird to have a guy come down from that position, you know, in in the management space and be like, yeah. "Hey, I was a player too." But I'm just th- I'm trying to rack my brain, especially from a pitching perspective, looking down. Like, mm-hmm. is there anybody you think that'd be like, "Hey, look, we gotta we gotta talk here." This is a good question because you know Sandy is the leader of the the pitching staff. And what's he? You know, like, he's 26? obviously twenty six, exactly. So he's young. He's a young pup, right. young pup as well. So you know you haven't got that thirty something vet in there that's kind of been around, seen it, done it all. Um, they obviously they signed Gio Gonzalez last um, you know off season, if you recall. Gio made one I think appearance for the Marlins in spring, got blown up, and just went. Ah, yeah, that's poor Gio. Done. It's 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 gone. It's, yeah. it's, I think he retired too last year, so that you know. He did. After that appearance in spring for the Marlins, <laughs> he, he he realized it wasn't in the tank. But I like to your point, I think the Marlins were thinking about that at the time. How do we get, you know, a veteran arm in here? Or maybe you know, they needed that too. I mean, the way the season played out, it would have been valuable if Gio they could have got hundred plus innings out of him. But um you're right. Who is that guy? I mean, Miggy it's Miggy Rose Clubhouse. Like that's the reality, mm-hmm. but clearly Miggy's not a pitcher. All of the staff is so young. Sandy, I think, is you know, he's twenty six. And maybe Pablo's around the same age and they're all just young pups. So who's guiding Sixto Sanchez? That is the question. I actually don't know the answer to it, but it's one that needs to be asked because there's too much Instagram, not enough baseball with Sixto Sanchez. That is the problem. That's yeah, that's that's a it's an interesting, it's a it's a fair criticism too, but it's it's one of those where it's like and also too, I I mean, for him, you'd have to look at Sandy Alcantara and be like, that should be me, right? That that that's that kind of is I think Sixto views himself. I think that's that's what he sees, right? As a guy who's a good top, you know, it's a young top of the line guy, so it's interesting. What about this lineup? I think th- so. It's weird. I look at the Nationals almost as the inverse of the of the um, the Marlins, where okay, the Nationals lineup because Juan Soto is so amazing. 
Last year, even when they traded everybody away, it was actually really good still. Like it was like people don't realize this. It was the problem was not the lineup at all. And there were guys, you know, a bunch of randoms like Lane Thomas and Riley Adams and Alcides Escobar, uh, who were, you know, contributing very well on a day-to-day basis. The one problem is they don't have pitching. And so I I, you know, my thing is, all right, how far can you get with a good just a good lineup and scattered pitching? The Marlins are asking the other question, right? How far can you get with great pitching, but the lineup on a day-to-day basis, like who is the star, right? Who is the guy in the lineup where, you know, you build the lineup around? Because I think that's the one thing about Juan is that, you know, you learn that like if you can stack hitters together Mm. and you have a certain part of the lineup that makes life hell for pitching, you know, you're going to win games. The reason why the Nats got red hot last June was because good luck getting through Schwarber, Turner, and Soto three times a game. And also, fine, take a breath. There's Josh Bell waiting for you, right? There's other guys behind him to, to support. And really, that that's that front part of the lineup sets everything up for everybody else down the line. Everybody kind of benefits from that. Um, not saying the Marlins lineup is bad, but, it, you know, Jorge Soler you bring in, okay, great. He, he really fits on a certain kind of team, though. Like, you got to have a certain amount of support behind him. Like, the... the the Soler thing doesn't work unless there is the Fre- Freddie Freemans of the world right behind the Austin Riley's of the world right behind you to back it up and say, all right, well, that didn't work out, but here comes the next guy. Here comes the next guy. So what does that look like for the Marlins, you think, trying to build that lineup? This is the question. This has been the conundrum all off season for, for the fish. Um, I mean, what, what they had to do, they had to address the catcher spot, not in terms of they need – you know, they need a JT Riamuto, i.e. an offensive guy. They needed someone defensively that can handle the staff and actually play the catcher position. Mm-hmm. Last year, the catcher spot was just, it was terrible to, defensively. And so they go and get Stallings. Then you go and acquire, you know, a Joey Wendell uh, that, that then could play all across the, the infield. And that was, again, another problem for the Marlins last year. Just the infield was all hurt all year. And the depth just wasn't there. Then you start to then come to your point, though, around what's the lineup looking like? Who's going to scare you? You go and sign an Avi Garcia. I actually really like the, the profile of Avi Garcia, for sure. Then you add in Soler. But the, the diamond in the rough for the Marlins is what could, what could a full, healthy year of Garrett Cooper look like? And people are going to be going, who the hell is Garrett Cooper? I don't even know who that dude is. And, you know, maybe rightly so, but he, for me, has the potential to be if he, if he, DH, the DH really helps him too. And yeah. so you end up with a full DH year of a healthy coop, I think could be a phenomenal production. Then you kind of build around that coop. Uh, well, because Aguilar... you don't know, right? Cooper plays the same position as Jesus Aguilar, who is really, who's, who's kind of that, he's like the veteran big stick in the lineup. And so I think, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here, that kind of blocked Cooper in some ways, plus health, I think health concerns too. But like that, that stuff kind of blocked Cooper from, really showing us how good he could be on a day-to-day basis. I think so. If you look back to 2020, when the DH was back in, <clears throat> it it really helped balance the Marlins lineup. Clearly, mm-hmm. we, we performed better that year too, right? Offensively. And uh, you're right. Aggie and Coop, uh, they re-signed Aggie expecting the DH in 2021. That's my belief, that they thought right. they was going to be a DH. They made the deal. And then all of a sudden, nope, no DH, back to usual rules. Aguilar at first, Cooper Loop playing out in right field. And listen, Garrett Cooper is not a right fielder. He's a big dude and, you know, he doesn't want to be out there. He actually got hurt at first base, um, coincidentally, with those, you know, the kind of 
glove into the the runner kind of situation where mm. you do uh, an ACL or whatever. You know those oh, ones. Oh, that, yeah, 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 the UCL, yeah, yeah. sorry. You know those kind of plays. Hoskins had the same thing a few years ago, and um, but I, you know this DH thing is interesting. The Marlins, though, they 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 have a glaring hole at center field too, right? And this is the the other thing that's been kind of I guess running all off season is what are you going to do with center field? They've been exploring a Brian Reynolds trades um, heavily. Haven't made a deal there. Clearly, the Pirates are asking a lot, as you'd expect. And the Marlins are saying, okay, cool. We're going to go Jesus Sanchez in center field. And then we're going to, in the corners, have Avi Garcia and, uh, and Soler. It is a high-risk outfield. That is the the one way I describe it. Cooper's yeah. DH in. Aguilar's at first base. Jazz Chisholm at second. Miggy Rowe short. And then, yeah, Brian Anderson or Wendell at third. It's a, it's a better lineup for the Marlins this year. Mm. It doesn't have, though, to your point, though, Josh, it doesn't have Juan Soto, Schwarber, Trey Turner. Like, it just doesn't, the Marlins lineup at the moment doesn't have that type of tier of player. Soler is kind of that that Schwarber. Now, you know, whether they use him every single day hitting first is, mm. we'll see, right? That's, that's got to be answered. But, like, they don't have, they don't have, I mean, we're seeing now more and more, like, you got to stack dudes on top of dudes to win. I mean, this is why the Dodgers, I think and even that 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 Nationals lineup in 2019, like as amazing as the pitching was, you know they were stacking that lineup with uh, you know Eaton, and then you go Soto, and you got Rendon, and you got Zimmerman off a good year, and you, you got to put all these guys mm-hmm. together, and what you know it equals to a lot. And the the Marlins, it just the problem is too if they were in a different division, I would feel a lot different. Like if they were in the National League Central, as good as the Brewers are. Like that, that division's a little bit for the taking. I know that National League East wasn't as good last year, but let's be honest. Like the idea that this division's going to be down this year with the number of great players in it, really hard to see. Really hard to see yeah, it being down again. All right, this will do it for part one of our show. Part two coming tomorrow, discussing the National and Marlins, Nationals and Marlins kind of place in the division. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Nationals. You can follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore. And you can follow us, uh, find us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. All right, friends, till next time, as always, stay safe.